0: Back, I'm Kim Bailey, she's Fuliana Osborne, and this is Inside Exec. Today, we have part three of our discussion with Trish Nicklin. One of our early podcasts, we talked about qualities of a leader. What do you see as the qualities of a business leader?
1: Business leaders, I think. It's such a personal thing from a follower perspective, if Mm -hmm. we talk about followership here Mm -hmm. for a second, Mm -hmm. because what I might want as a quality in a business leader to make me thrive will be totally different to yourselves or anybody else. So first of all, I think that followership is a huge quality, a capacity to understand followership and and how to engage with it. As a business leader, you've got to have a concept Mm -hmm. of that. Empathy and compassion, I know I overuse terms at the moment, but they're really important. Genuine empathy and compassion are really important because you can give people a sort of a lip service and it's going to be very noticeable. So, genuine empathy and compassion is really important, I think, too. And I think that you have to have a responsibility a sense of responsibility mm-hmm. for your people's
0: success mm-hmm. and responsibility in your role and responsibility mm-hmm. in your role yeah, yeah.
1: yeah and then you as a follower feed up to your major and i also think that if you're not getting that from above that's no reason for you to pass that down mm-hmm. yes so the buck yes. stup- stops with you yeah in a no humanities sense yeah. as well as in
0: the as in the corporate sense yeah, and the right. business. Yeah. So the same thing outside of a work environment?
1: Yeah, I think as outside a work environment, you can probably broaden it a little bit more because you're dealing with different people and different accountabilities. And so you can shake it up a mm-hmm. little bit more. And I think that you can be a lot more risk adverse outside.
0: We've talked to a lot of our other guests about being on boards. We're interested to hear... If it's different, being on an association, you know, work-related board as opposed to a cultural activity-related yeah. one. No, it would be my answer. Yeah. The responsibilities
1: are the same, and that doesn't go away. So there's a governance mm-hmm. that yep. is in place regardless. Yep. The work is actually very similar. There's a responsibility to do the right thing by members or mm-hmm. otherwise. Tom was. On. Time-wise, it's as big. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I always yes. find I spend a lot more time in my board directorships. I'm very serious about it. So mm-hmm. reading board papers before a board meeting is essential. Uh, and I've been both chair, so I've been chair and a director. Mm-hmm. I think as a chair it's essential to set expectations of your board members, mm-hmm. but also to be realistic. So if it's a mm-hmm. cultural one, it's a, there, was, there was more of a sense of fun. Yes. than a, a more sort of business-orientated one. But that's not to say we don't have a lot of laughs. I think it's essential yeah. to be cohesive yes. and open for debate and all of those mm-hmm. things have to happen. The key for me is the board has to, have to be very united. Otherwise, yeah. nothing gets done.
2: So you debate as hard as you can on the inside and you make sure that all views are heard and considered. But then whether you agree or disagree, as a board you and yeah. you
1: leave your yeah. you know you leave your club colors at the door mm. and that can be that apply to anything because everyone's mm. got mm. their passion. Yeah. Yes, yeah. their reason for yes. being there? but you've got to understand that that's not the point. For me, it's understanding what the purpose of the board is is essential. whether you're a board of management, whether you're a strategic board, are you an operational board, mm-hmm. you know, or are you a forming board, depending mm-hmm. on where the association mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. and then how you interact. And, and it may be that you make a decision that your strength as a director is in helping boards move mm-hmm. from operational
0: to management and into strategy. But once mm-hmm. you get there, that's have lost interest. You need to yeah. go and find another directorship. And in those the boards that you've had experience with, have you seen the makeup of the board change? Yeah, and always not, it's
1: not, not. I was going to say not for the better, but that's such a judgmental term because it just occurred to me that it may not agree with me, but it'll probably for the better of the organisation. Yeah, I I think for me it's always destabilising when board members change. So every year, you should never have a board where everybody's suddenly up for election. You lose people every year and you bring new people in. Mm -hmm. So when you're on a strategic plan that is years in implementation. It's absolutely essential for the chair of the board, if not for the entire board, to make sure that anybody leaving is completing the tasks that they Mm -hmm. had and handing over, Be prepared to stay on and hand over for the first couple of months. Secondly, that anybody coming in or even putting, before they do that, if you're going to put up your hand make sure that person is incredibly well brief what they're coming in to do. What we find in cultural boards is quite often somebody's got a bee in their bonnet and they've been told the only way to fix that bee in their bonnet is to get on the (laughs) board. Beknownst to them, they might get there and find that their bee in the bonnet, which was so huge on the outside, is piffling zero Mm. compared to the great pile of steaming Mm -hmm. (laughs) troubles Um, (laughs) that the board is trying to deal with and already has a plan in place and that what they really need is someone who can come in And rewrite policy for a Mm -hmm. year. I see time and again, particularly in these cultural boards, Mm -hmm. that somebody's made lots of promises to people and then they get there and they find it's not what they want and they stay for a year, sometimes even less, because these volunteer positions in cultural boards takes... One yeah. crossword and somebody yeah. gets upset and before you know it, they're mm. gone, they're yeah. gone and, and nothing progresses. So mm. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's incredibly important for chairs to have a very firm view of how conduct of mm-hmm. the board is, yeah. get the right people in and I'm a huge, a huge supporter of getting independent board directors mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because yeah. I think that yes. there's a role for subject matter experts for sure, but the board doesn't need to be full of them. A subject matter expert who happens to be a lawyer or an accountant is not necessarily the right lawyer or the right accountant. I think that it's really important that boards are made up of not only some people from within the universe of the Mm -hmm. association, subject matter experts within there, but also from a diversity perspective, diversity of thought. And I talk a lot about transformational decision-making, that comes from diversity, and diversity is more than gender, mm. it's inclusion. Yes. So, to, to go back to the superannuation analogy, how many super funds have a 25 year old on their board if you mm. want to reach yes. out there? Yes. And why can't a 25 year old yes. be there? Why yeah. do we have, yes. why do you have to have? 30 years of experience and why do you have to have been C-suite and sort of have... It's not a rite of passage, that I mindset. have exactly the same
0: experience. I'm on the National Parks mm. Advisory Committee and the catch cry for the last 10 years has been, we must get someone new, we must get someone young. Mm. And we got to a point probably three years ago where we said, well, how are you attracting these people mm. that you okay. think are out there to be on the board? And as it turned out... For our particular area, there's they did attract probably four people who are under 30, and it has been just the most amazing and exciting time for mm. us to have them there because they do bring a whole lot of other information that yeah. we're not privy yes. to, yes. but at the same time, they are floored by how much we know, and it's mm. become so much better. It was always mm. a good committee, but it's so much better now because we've got that mix of yeah. respect yeah. and knowledge and knowledge sharing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that R word is so important
1: yeah. Yeah. because you have to respect what each individual yeah. around the yes. table brings, yeah. and not not discourage anyone. Mm. And that's a real it's an excellent chair that can keep highlighting that. Yeah, I think the challenge is sometimes boards bring the people in, but then they get so disheartened. Because they're mm-hmm. there as a figure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, as the yeah. token. Mm-hmm. And so the other key is if you're going to bring them in, then work out what their value proposition mm-hmm. is and why yeah. they're there and allow them to. To
2: contribute. do what you've brought them to do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But also set the scene, as we talked about before, because mm-hmm. there is a lot of reading and tabling and yes. writing of policies and you've yeah. got to take on the aspects that you don't. a, yeah. it's, it's not fun. And you do sit them in. I've been had to face up to many an AGM when we were restructuring the organisation. There were people that had been in roles for a long time, very well loved, highly experienced, mm-hmm. but just weren't in a position to get to the next level. Although, you know, we were given the option, but compared to when we put them up against what we were getting yeah. again from independence, we were blown Different. away. Yeah, And so therefore they weren't going to be there anymore. At one stage, I was the most hated person mm. in that organisation, mm. and because um, you're the change, I was uh, the change leader, yeah. yeah. agent. And don't underestimate the toll that that takes on you, and therefore that comes back into my next point, which is if you're there for five or six years, move, get your succession plan in place, yeah. and get out. Yeah. So you know, my view is, I came in mm. to help get them through particular period of time get mm-hmm. the plan set up, I didn't need to stick around and implement it yeah, further yeah. beyond the first year. Mm. And so you've got to be very self aware and then you've also got to be able to look backwards and say, Okay, it may not go the way i planned it, but the next people will do their best. And, yes. and I've been really lucky to still be working with them and be very mm. close to, to them. And I hope in my current board that's a new experience because that's a whole new association. Yes, we're, we're building the planes, we're flying it, which is a dangerous and fun well, place to be. It, it, it's it's just a change. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's just a different
0: way. Yeah. And and which is not to say that that it will be something that will happen mm. from now on. The way when organisations change and when our working mm. structure changes, that these things will have to be done that way. And so you're on, you're at the forefront of that. Yeah. And therefore, you will be the go-to person because you've already yeah, experienced yeah. that.
1: And you, and you find yourself falling into roles that you never thought mm-hmm. when you, you walked yeah. in there and you suddenly become the subject matter expert about something. Yes. And only because you're the person that sort of picked it up. Yes, or have a crack at writing something, the next thing everyone's pointing
2: everything to you in that direction. (laughs) You became the expert.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. but that is about that change and uh, change isn't new. Transformation's not new. It's been around forever. It's just that now it's given a a
0: label. We love labeling. We do, don't we? We do. So in terms (laughs) of labels, we do have a question that we ask all of our guests. No right or wrong answer. I have to preface it by that. We're interested to do the comparison of what people see as the difference between a coach, a mentor, and an accountability partner. <laughs> and you've heard <laughs> others answer this, so don't <laughs> use any of their <laughs> answers. I'll try not to <laughs>
1: Well again it's very it's a very individual perspective mm-hmm. and we have to always bear that in mind. I would say a, a coach is someone that you go to around a specific place the rules of the game yep to sporting analogies again coaches will help correct you in something that's already sort of like a desired process and so you can go to a coach and say i'm having problems with my golf swing and a coach will correct your golf swing for you more or less and that applies across any industry a mentor on the other hand doesn't try and correct you so this goes back to that strengths and weaknesses Mm A mentor yeah. will help find your strengths. I've been working with Fulyana now for a long time because i have realised I I wanted to move out of sort of this existence that <coughs> I had, this hamster wheel I was on, but I didn't know how to get there. I had all these ideas about this business and I didn't know how to move myself from position A to position B. And I had zero self-confidence because I kept being told all of my weaknesses and mm. that I had to fix them and I couldn't work out why they were weaknesses I thought they were strengths and so that's where a mentor comes in because the mentor helps you work through all of that piece coach fixes your weaknesses in process only and a mentor really helps you work on your strengths and builds you and supports you and gives you very usable tools Mm -hmm. to manage that I think and guides you and an accountability partner is the one that, that helps keep your promises. I've never had one in, in a board before, but when I joined I was TTA, we, we put in place an accountability partner to make sure that all of us on the board were committed <laughs> to yeah. responding, and, and he does. So, you know, when there's action, he makes sure that we are accountable yeah. and, mm-hmm. that, and, and that he doesn't <laughs> literally go through the list and say, have you done this on this time? it's much more softly done. Yeah, It's about how, how are we progressing with these objectives. Mm-hmm. And that's really important, I think, because you
0: can get easily swayed. So that's how I define it. Very good. Yeah, We've talked long and hard and mm-hmm. covered a, a few topics in that time. Is there anything that you would like to share with the listeners that we haven't covered?
1: I think it's important for anyone that's, sort of sitting there listening to all of this and now thinking, yeah, but that doesn't, how does that impact me? It all okay. sounds good and we're talking about leadership and it's all fluffy terms. Yeah. I think what I'd like to do okay. is maybe if we if we could use your, your experience and some of my input to help now say, okay, if you are sitting deep within an organisation or if you're a leader in an organisation that are feeling like you're not being able to lead the way you want, what are some practical steps you can personally take to to actually remediate that decision? And and I think the first one is what do I want to do? Really hard question to ask, so let's let's abandon that. Write it down and then put a big line through it. And I want you to sit there on the train tonight or on the bus when you get home. I want you to write a list of things you can do. And that list can be as long as you like. And when you finish that list, and that can be things like I can speak, I can present, I can write, I can write policies, make it detailed if you want to be detailed. I can do maths really well. Then take a highlighter out and highlight the ones that you actually enjoy doing or have an interest. Then put it away and sleep on it and then have another look at it the next day and write all those words you highlighted into a paragraph and then maybe go and do a bit of a search around what jobs, because you could put these into algorithms, what Mm. jobs actually have that coming up again and again and again and maybe then do a comparison between what you discover there versus what you're doing now And all of a sudden, you've got the basis of, I see where my gaps are. Mm -hmm. And I'd I'd just be interested in, that's my method. What do you ladies think of that? I I
2: think it's a great method. And I think sometimes you'll be surprised with the outcome. So if you did that, and you think, I'm not sure I'm in the right job, or I think I'm past, you know, I've, I've already exhausted this, you might find that you actually are in the right job. And you he could be
1: bitterly disappointed yeah. <laughs> with that.
2: <laughs> well, not necessarily. I think yeah. it just make you think, like I did it objectively and that has all the elements, so why am I still unhappy? Mm-hmm. And then you dig down to that and then you say, I have to fix the root cause because otherwise I'll go from one organisation to another and carry that with me. Yeah. Is it something me or the organisation? Is it me or the industry? And so it will help clarify for you what, what it is best fit for you at this stage. It doesn't mean you've been in the right job or wrong job. It means right now you're getting to a next point. And that next point, there's, it's, there's no hard lines. That's whenever you get there. So I think this is a good thing. And I think it's really also saying that what have I done about those things that I highlighted so far? What worked? What hasn't worked? What help do I need? I might need some tools, I might need funds, I might need expertise. And I've used that in that work and I use that. But oh, I haven't used this, so why don't I then go and get it? Or go to some of those like minds, like the CEO forums or whatever, and then talk about how somebody else tackled that, learn from others. I do that every day.
0: Well, I, I like the approach and I'd probably extend it more than just writing down what I'm, what I can do, is in terms of work. Is I like to do it in terms of absolutely everything. Everything, yeah. So and then, yeah. Then highlight the things again. Highlight the things that that I like to do, and then certainly put it away for a while. But then I'll come back and I'll do another list that is why am I doing this? Ah, that's and the so, then, so then, so then I marry up. The, the why with the things that I enjoy and and, and the why for why am I doing the things that I don't enjoy. Mm-hmm. And then that then leads me to doing a list that says what are the reasons? That, what, what's the reason behind the why? And I live by a rule of no excuses. So, so the reasons can't be an excuse for mm. the things I'm doing and that then means that I can cross out a lot of the things that I'm doing because the industry requires it, because that's why it's always been done, because everyone has done that. In, in the family history, that's what everybody's done, those sorts of things. And the, the flower arranging is, is the perfect example. You know I can put down all the things that I was doing in my life. and the things that gave me pleasure were competition, the flowers, and public speaking public speaking in terms of seeing people develop their skills, mm-hmm. not, not me doing the, the yeah. speaking so much. And so how do I marry all of that up with something that will give me a good reason why I'm doing it? And certainly there's financial constraints, but when you look at the financial requirements, you look at what do I need in this year, how much do I need to make this year to do the things that I want to do, and then break it back down to how much do I have to make this week today how much do I have to make and you know when you break it down that far it breaks it down to the ridiculous and so you start to give yourself permission to do these things that you thought were just you know they're not really money-making things so I shouldn't be doing those you know I should be concentrating on my career giving yourself permission to, to make those changes to do that transformation I think is vitally important and we are conditioned to only give ourselves permission if we've got the statistical evidence. Yeah. So let validation. And, then, yeah. and yeah. we do use money as a massive we excuse. Do. Yeah. Can't do it but because I can't afford it. If you haven't them. got the resources, you be resourceful. Yeah. yeah. And being resourceful is something, again, that we yeah. are not necessarily taught unless yeah. you come from a background where resources were constrained. Yes. And then suddenly you understand about how you can get things. I don't struggle to get floral material, Mm -hmm. but I'm much happier going out and picking it from the side of the road, being resourceful, and I actually see more that I can use from the side of the road. And so I'll go to an international competition, I won't order the flowers beforehand, which everybody else that does it will do, Mm -hmm. but I'll go out and I'll buy them from the local supermarket or I'll I'll knock on people's doors and say, can I use this from your garden, I'm doing this competition. And I get far more pleasure out of those interactions. They get pleasure. It makes my creative juices flow better because Mm. on the competition side of things, I really like a challenge, which is why I work with footy arms so much, because I really like a challenge. Uh, I have uh, liked uh, a challenge for uh, 30-plus years. She's and, laughing and, then, and, and it will continue. <laughs> That's
2: a great, promise. It's like a better look at the beautiful symbiotic
1: relationship
0: between the two of you. She, she feeds me, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> we, enjoy, we enjoy the whole thing together. My extension is probably to look at more broadly at the things that, that you're good at yeah. and recognise that you're good at them and giving yourself permission. Gosh, yeah.
1: And if you have to write a permission slip to yourself... Yeah. Yeah, then do it. Yeah. Then do it. A lot of people are, you know, myself included, you aspire to a lifestyle. I want to live in this kind of a house. I want to have these type of things. And at some point, you have to reassess that and go, what do... I actually, yeah I can still have a good lifestyle but I don't need to necessarily have three lounge room to do that and when you start to make decisions based on is that lounge, is that extra lounge room really going to be the difference between me staying in a job that I'm not being fulfilled with then you start to make better decisions. But it is also, I acknowledge it's a family decision for most people yeah, to true. allow someone to go off and Go into do a startup for a year, or, or go and become a contractor for a year. Okay. Yes, and those conversations mm-hmm. need to be had early and upfront. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You've got to to meet the minimum requirement for your family and then experiment. But also you've got to be open and not block based on one angle. That's for example, right. if there's the three of us are going on holidays, right? I mightn't like flying or going by boat or whatever. The way I look at it is, okay, I'm hearing you to decide or or think what you like. It doesn't look like what I would like, but I've got to be open enough to give it a go at least once. Because if I do, hey, guess what? That's a new experience, and that in itself is great. I might have to not do it again because it didn't suit me. So you try the freelancing and decide not for me or not at this stage of my life. Again, you do it like with that with that travel uh, example. I went, oh, I like that. I would never have tried it if I didn't look mm-hmm. at your excitement. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and I think that keeping open, but you also got to be practical about, can you pay the bills? Of course, in some mm-hmm. cases, can I go on this holiday? And the answer back to them, take me back to Kim. And that says, or right, I can't really afford to go on that holiday, but how can I work it so I can? Can I really not afford it? Can I drill down mm-hmm. into my finances? How what much do I have to earn to do it? Yeah. yeah, so it, it's always, there is always an answer and there's always an experience to be had. Mm-hmm. And as long as it's new, different... The experience itself is very valuable and sometimes we dismiss that. We go for the destination, yeah. not the journey.
1: Yeah, I think experience has Mm. value. If you could put a dollar value on experience, we'd all be very rich. Well, I think we
0: might have covered just about everything we need to for (laughs) this session anyway, (laughs) and I'm certain that uh, we'll have to talk to Trish again because there's other things that we haven't covered in this case. And I think we'd really like to catch up in a year or so and see how it's all going and see what changes have happened in what we've talked about today because it is a a point where industry is changing and will change, I think, quite rapidly, and we'll need to keep on top of that and keep talking about it. we do thank you for your time and your very comprehensive input today i'm kim bailey she's Diana osborne we've been talking with trish nicklin and this is inside exec